Hello and welcome to the SEDEFO podcast Skillset and Match. The practical side of vocational education and training has always been an advantage for young people who are looking for their first job. Apprenticeships especially allow learners to earn money as they combine studying at school with learning while working in a company. And now, digital skills add a new and innovative dimension to the most traditional of work-based learning formats. Two practitioners who know all about apprenticeships and digitalization are in the SEDEFOP studio to tell us more. I'm Rosie Vuduri, and today I'm joined by Dan McCabe, who works in the gaming industry and is a World Skills Champion Trust Regional Representative for Europe, and Carlos de Olagua Smithson, a teacher, director of a vocational school in Madrid, and a member of the European Forum for Vocational Training. They both just took part in the Joint Symposium on Digital Apprenticeships, organized here in Thessaloniki by SEDEFOP and the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD. The event was part of the European Year of Skills. Our guests presented some interesting views that we'll now explore further together. Carlos and Dan, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, thank you for having me. I would like you both to introduce yourselves very briefly. Hello, so I'm here on behalf of EFED, the European Forum for Vocational Training, and uh, I'm an electricity teacher. I'm uh, the director of a high school, Abet High School in Spain, and I also collaborate with EFED Empresa. It's an association with 565 schools in Spain. And Dan? I'm a 3D digital game artist from the United Kingdom. My industry is game development and video game art. Although I'm here on behalf of World Skills International's um, Champions Trust as a representative for Europe, we're essentially a group of young people from all around the world who have competed internationally against the best in the world, and now we represent our sectors at events like this. Let me start with you, Dan, because in the closing panel earlier at the symposium, you brought some very interesting uh, insights about the industry that you're representing and how apprenticeships are not really the norm there. Yeah, it's definitely um, something that almost plagues my industry to many degrees because we don't really reap the benefits that apprenticeships offer. Instead, we more focus on the internship side where we try and find people who have already got the skills and kind of put them to the test. And then after like six or so months, we keep them if they did. And it's um, not a very sustainable way of, of operating within education, in my opinion. And it's definitely something we need to, need to improve on. And what is the issue in cooperating with the education side? I think probably one of the biggest issues that we face is purely just because of how many projects there are and how many different disciplines and workflows you know for example like to develop a game like candy crush is very different to develop a game like call of duty and just because a person thinks they'd be a good game developer for one doesn't necessarily mean they'd be good for another so it's incredibly hard to create a curriculum that can effectively train apprentices to find themselves in multiple studios around the world and it's definitely something we need to collaborate more with educators in order to create like a more fundamental skill base that can be applied to any game. Carlos, you are an educator. So how do you perceive the other side, what uh, Dan has just described? 
I understand the situation of, of uh, gaming. I mean, it's really, I think it's the highest tech industry at the moment. And I think the problem he mentioned is that uh, everything is de developing very, very fast. So that, that's very difficult to cope with that and, and finding trainees to learn at that pace. But on the other hand, that shows us uh, what might end up happening in other markets. I mean, uh, we see that technology is coming into our lives either at a faster and faster speed. And maybe we should have to take a look at what's happening in, in the video gaming and maybe try to find a way of um, really embracing the situation. And we have to try and uh, update, for instance, curriculum and methodology faster. And that's uh, maybe that would be the way of uh, taking this opportunity. Yeah, definitely. But how do you, Carlos, go about attracting apprentices in your, let's say, more traditional occupations? We are uh, working uh, together with the companies. Uh, for instance, at FAP Empresa, we have collaborations with Microsoft or Iberdrola. And they provide us with the know-how uh, because they really want to transmit this know-how because they need our students to get this know-how. So the companies really are pushing forward their needs. And this is the way that we are later taking this information, this knowledge to the students in the classroom. So, I mean, there's a bi-directional uh, way now that is uh, working. And I think uh, the companies should continue like this offering the latest uh, tech that they are now providing. Now let's go to the specific theme of the symposium, digital apprenticeships. Of course, in the gaming world, this is a given because it is electronic gaming, 3D gaming. In the schools in Spain where you work, Carlos, how is digitalization making an impact on the curricula and on your everyday work? Well, for instance, I'm, I teach electricians. Before, the, the, the work of an electrician consisted mainly on installing cables and maybe switches and simple devices. But now uh, we are already moving into automation, Internet of Things, and I think that's the direction because uh, the simple tasks will be not so important as really all the technology we are already teaching in this direction, so we are transmitting this information to our electricians. Examples with uh, Iberdrola that they have a huge uh, software platform to teach their own technicians. They provide this platform for free to our, all the Spanish uh, vet schools that want to. Why? Because if our students use it, they will acquire the skills and the company will get the students already with this training. It's not only students, though, it's also teachers. And Dan, teachers say that they want as much as possible to get trained and update their skills, especially with the digital environment uh, that they have to operate in uh, nowadays. But how do you think this can be achieved without being overtaken by developments in technology? Yeah, it's incredibly difficult. It's almost like a, a consistent catch-up that they're trying to play really and I think um, one of the biggest um, things that was spoken about which I found particularly interesting with this topic was when they were talking about like the personality behind it and how like it's really important when we digitalize training that there's still like an element of human there and like the psychological impact of being trained by an AI or a robot 
you need to hit the balance right so you can you can train people all day but then that training is going to expire but then you can have a digital resource that's managed by an artificial intelligence that won't go out of date because it's constantly trained on the latest data but it's soulless you know it's like do we use this more automated style of training to train the teachers and then we put that personal layer back on it was just something that i um i found really interesting here at the at the event listening to all the different perspectives especially regarding uh, vr as well and i think if you're an educator and you're worried about maybe your skills becoming outdated it's definitely time to like you know reach out to industry and if you can find the right people and communicate with them in the right way and be open-minded to new workflows and techniques you'll find yourself in your course potentially scaling faster than any you know of your rivals that won't be doing that because your skills will be more relevant you'll have a a better higher rate and um ultimately in like regards to an apprenticeship you'd have amazing success stories and people wanting to give back and maybe they go on to form their own companies one day and to feedback loop of positivity and you go one step further saying that uh, the teachers of the future might be part-time teachers and part-time yeah. working in a company. It's a very effective training technique that's already um, in place. At, there's a studio called TGA, um, the Games Assembly in Sweden. And um, they're arguably the best university in the world for my um, my particular topic. And the way they operate is they have a kind of a hybrid teacher system where two or three days a week, their staff are actually in industry and then the other two days they're teaching um, the students and then they obviously have like a large team that's constantly rotating so the students aren't you know neglected but what that means is you go from having like a a two or three year lag to you know let's say we we this event was actually all about training game developers on the latest tools and techniques and it's every two years by the next two years we'll be like oh yeah ignore everything we said last time so you'll be in this situation where rather than the lag being two or three years, it's two or three days and it's just the most relevant way of teaching. And they've gone from having like, for us as employers, we, and like when we're trying to find people like apprentices and stuff, they are complete no brainers, mainly because they already possess the mindset and the skills and the, and it's down to the teachers and the way they, they structure their um, courses. And I think um, industry can maybe look at, applying that to the people they're hiring, really. But Carlos, as a a teacher again, what's your view on what uh, Dan just uh, said? Yeah, I agree with Dan that the teachers should be very near the, the industry. In Spain, we have the innovation project financed by the Ministry of Education that allows this collaboration. But I really would go further. I mean, uh, maybe half a week in the industry and half a a week teaching might be too much for a lot of the sectors, but I think it's a must. I mean, uh, everything is developing very fast and the teachers really have to uh, stay uh, updated. What will be the the, um, role of the teacher in the future? The teacher that is just a content provider, I think that's going to disappear. It doesn't make sense when you have everything everywhere and uh, you have simulators to, to simulate learning situations. And learners can uh, get much easier content than they used to, right? That's There's right. There's content everywhere. Yes, but on the other hand, we are, uh, have a very fast changing environment. So now everybody assumes that we, are, we don't even know where we are heading to. We really need a guide, somebody that can offer 
some type of security to the learner. And I think that should be the role of the teacher, like a trainer in a sports team that has a view of what's going on and has to uh, offer the, the players instructions or ideas or where they should move, in what direction. I think that's the, that should be the role. And, and it's a very important role. Try to offer a perspective, try to be a step ahead of what's going to happen and offer this to the students. Does this role sound about right to you? Yeah, Dan? definitely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I have nothing to add. I think it was uh, perfect. <laughs> Now, another um, bone of contention is virtual reality automation. Some people are afraid that uh, instead of doing good, it may harm both teachers and learners, the whole educational process. What is your um, take on that, uh, Carlos? Some people are still thinking uh, if the virtual reality is going to change the future. It's already there. It's already in the classroom. Uh, we are already using it. Students are using it alone. It's a tool and we have to uh, see how we are going to manage the tool. What's great from this tool is that the student can try out things risk-free. That is an advantage. But it, it's also an, a disadvantage. Why? Because if uh, you want to simulate uh, someone painting a car, it's great because you won't get dirty. But at the end, this uh, trainee has to go to an actual car and paint it and be careful not to spoil the car of the customer. And that's, you only can do that in a real situation. So it takes out a little bit of the human interaction there, yeah? Also, uh, interaction with the, the with their reality, with the risk, I mean, with the fear. Uh, we were talking in the conference about navigating a ship, a vessel in, in the sea. So the simulator is great to know how to go around with the knobs and the controls and so on and, and try and what uh, are the, the different buttons you have to press. But at the end, you have to know how to go out in dark night and with the wind and the cold and the high waves. And you only really can be a certified uh, captain or pilot if you do the last part, not the real part. Exactly. You need to know how to react in a real life situation. That's right. With the right. fear. Maybe our colleague Dan can uh, explain, I'm sure there are ways of simulating or creating fear, no? But I think that's, that's for me, is the, the point, real risk. Oh, yeah. That was another really good example that VR cannot capture. And that was like um, a member of our panel was saying that his um, grandfather or something had like a scar on his finger from where he'd made a mistake and he, he's never going to make that mistake again, right? And I think I completely agree. It's definitely something I've been educated on today. I was I was of the mindset at the beginning of the day that VR was the be all and end all and that it was like there were almost no disadvantages to it because I'm quite open-minded with the development of the technology. But it's definitely something you can't simulate. You could, yeah, sure, you could strap like electrodes to the brain and like do something ridiculous like that. But ultimately, you're, you can't simulate that captain who's... 2,000 miles away from the horizon and he's missing his family. He's missed like his son's birthday or something like that. And like, he's sick. He's got his whole crew asking him questions that he doesn't have the answers to yet. And then he's being asked to perform a really high skilled um, task. You can't simulate those things. 
But on the subject, the positive note of it, we can appreciate it can't do that, right? And I think um, airlines are doing a good job of not relying 100% on it and using like a hybrid system. I think as well, like it's important how we implement these things like VR as an example, like when when the iPhone first came out, right? And we had like touch screens and you could play video games and like songs and stuff like compare that to the original Nokia's and then compare the iPhone, the first iteration to the phone you have in your pocket today. And you start to see like what 20, 30 years of development can do to a, to a piece of hardware. As someone who's in the tech industry, it's really hard for me to discount the possibilities in the future of VR. Things like um, haptics, like, you know, um, there was a good point raised about like pressing things. You can't, like if anyone's used VR, your hand phases through stuff. You can't actually feel that. I feel like that's a problem that will be solved in time, but you will never take the person out of the person, right? Nothing you can do about that. But uh, being in the gaming industry, don't you feel that this is happening? Well, the issue that we face in the games industry is like we have like a facade of virtual reality on top of it. Or if you're developing something for virtual reality, it's hard to create a virtual reality platform to train that. You know, um, if the best way to train someone is sat at a computer learning the skill, it's really hard to pitch the idea of sitting them in a virtual reality headset at a computer doing the skill. There's times where I think it's really important to understand like um, the environment you're making. I think it's more of a tool to improve productivity than a necessarily a tool to, to train within our industry. So for example, if you're, let's say I'm making this building for like, um, like a video game, let's say we're making like a zombie survival game or something like that, that the kids would really like. If I had a virtual reality headset, I could visualize us sat in this room looking around and get an idea as to, okay, does it feel real? And then take a step back again. I think it's a tool to improve us, but to actually like learn software, I think it it's definitely got um, some smart people have got to try and work out how to do that. But I think um, more traditional vocations, like uh, I think welding and electronics and um, plumbing and things like that and bricklaying, hairdressing, these are all skills that, could benefit greatly from development of this software. And I guess it's on my industry to, to try and do that. Yeah, so you have to work together. Yeah, yeah we do, yes. we do. It's definitely something, all the software that I saw today um, as examples, um, I think you've shown a video of um, someone like um, fixing a Hyundai or something like yeah. that. Um, I was looking at it and I was like, oh yeah, we could do that. Like we could create that software. We're the people that these people who are outside our industry need to talk to. And yes. like we can help push this further also interesting is the uh, mixed reality yeah you know because for instance we've got real cars and it's very interesting maybe you have an uh, old model and you can project the new model on top of the yes. new, uh, old model so that there's you don't a need lot to buy a new car every two it. years yeah yeah just upload the new library of yes. and, uh, and the trainee can use it yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of more things before we finish this very interesting uh, discussion. Female participation in apprenticeships. Okay, there are some occupations where traditionally females have been willing to become apprentices. But there are some others, like perhaps your uh, area done in uh, the gaming industry or welding, as uh, you mentioned, or even electricians that we know from the past that uh, girls weren't much into. What are you doing to change that, Carlos? Well, for instance, at FFMBESA, we, we run 
competitions with prizes sponsored by companies that want to help in the uh, problem with gen- the gender. And this is female students that are in these sectors. They create projects and then we give visibility to this project. I think that's the direction we should work in making visible women that are working in the sectors and are doing it very well. And uh, I'm sure at some point we'll achieve a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there was a member of the panel who raised a really, really great example that he'd used within um, the engineering industry. And that was um, the wording of applications and things like that. So uh, the example given was like, we need this, this and this to get the job. Like if you if you want to apply for this apprenticeship, you have to have like three of these, like two of these skills in these things. But he changed it from you need it to we would like you to have it. And you end up getting more speculative candidates who are maybe perfect for the role that were like not wanting to do it in the first place. You get more candidates overall, but they saw a 17% increase in their female applications as well, which is obviously great. And I think that is such a quick thing to change that makes an impact. We can talk about like seismic movements within the industry and sector, but changing like the wording of your application on your website is like, 30 seconds and it to make an impact that quickly they're the small things that then you can get the girls into our industries right and then you can sit a female representative from the games industry in this chair instead of me and they can tell you what motivated them and what gave them passion and and then it becomes a snowball effect right absolutely the young learners the young people come to the school or to the company and they are more digitally native than the teachers. How can you compensate for that? Going back to my example with the trainer, in sports, Rafa Nadal plays better tennis than his trainer. I think we should uh, really start thinking that a lot of our students have a lot of IT skills and the teachers, we should use this, uh, these skills in our benefit or in the benefit of the teaching process. No. Coming back to the trainer, we have to accept this situation or use our history and use our um, knowledge of the industry and all these things to uh, help the student and and help this knowledge that they come with. You've actually given me a bit of a eureka moment there. My college tutor would be the first person to tell you that within like six months of my um, joining of his course, I was better than him, but he knew how to get the most out of me. You know, you you lack that wisdom, you lack that perspective almost when you're just blindly learning everything you can possibly get, you know, being that sponge, being that hoover. So to have someone who's like much more collected, much more wise, has seen it all before to go, right, you're incredibly good at learning. Let's direct you in the right path, right? That, again, is an element of human wisdom that is going to be really important going forward with apprenticeships. And learning is a two-way street. Yeah. And this is the way to go. That's it. And all this new environment, all, all these movements that there are, uh, we have to work together. I mean, it's impossible. The traditional way of the teacher that knew everything and provided the huge knowledge, that's really something from the encyclopedias from the 18th century when you could really write everything inside a book. No, Now you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So it's more a matter of collaboration and see how to get the, the, the most of the students and the teachers.
Yeah, I agree completely. Dan McCabe and Carlos de Olagua Smithson, thank you for coming to our program. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yes, thank you very much. We'll be back with more on vocational education and training skills and qualifications. Until then, you can visit our website, sedefop.europa.eu, for the latest developments, including a section dedicated to apprenticeships. You can also find our podcasts there and on all major podcast platforms. And you can follow us on social media. Goodbye.